Welcome to The Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. And today's talk is going to be about control of body weight. Now, we're going to talk about uh, control of body weight. It's going to be a pretty short talk because this is an evolving area of research. And to be honest, the pathophysiological and physiological mechanisms are not fully elucidated. So we need to take what's been published and try to make a little bit of sense out of it. So it's just as important area of medicine because we're going in an obesogenic environment. And I think this obesity problem is going to. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned the word obesogenic and you want to just expand on what that means because this is important for this part of the talk. So obesogenic in a very simplistic way is just people are eating more than uh, it's easier and easier for us to eat high caloric intake foods and it's easier and easier for us to do less work to spend these calories. So we save up a lot of these energies in terms of fat and then we become obese and fat. Exactly. So the moral of the story is your if your input and output is not equal then you know there's going to be discrepancies in terms of your weight and obesogenic is a term that's commonly used to describe the current situation faced by most health professionals going into the future so before we really get into the heavy stuff let's talk about some of the hormones that are currently being researched andy in terms of control of body weight or weight management there's a few key hormones that are important and we've come across them in our previous podcast on the git so do you want to start by telling me what ghrelin does so when we talk about ghrelin it's it's a hormone that cannot be ignored when we when we think about hunger because essentially ghrelin is the hormone that stimulates the hunger the feeling when you let's say you're studying for quite a while and suddenly your stomach starts rumbling that's odds are is because ghrelin kicks in and tells your brain that you know you need to go start to eat yeah that's right and i think it's one of the few hormones of which we're going to talk about that actually stimulates hunger as opposed to inhibits hunger so Let's let's move on from ghrelin because it is a developing area of research. Let's talk about cholecystokine or CCK, which we've talked about in the past. Mm. So that plays an important role in the GIT. But what's its role in terms of food intake? So as CCK senses fat, etc., going into the duodenum, I guess it also tells the brain at the same time that you know I'm being fed and. Maybe you can tone down on wolfing down those donuts or hot dogs that oh, you've been craving. My brain doesn't talk like that, but <laughs> okay. good on you. You've got an impressive brain. Um, so yeah, so in, in a nutshell, it sort of inhibits hunger, doesn't it? Yes. So it suppresses hunger. There's another one that is commonly mentioned in the literature, and that is glucagon-like peptide 1. Can you tell me what that does? I think it's also mainly identified as a inhibitor of hunger. So once you start eating, it will raise in GLP-1 levels and that will stop the feeling of hunger. That's yeah. right. So it's again, it inhibits hunger. Um, there's also peptide YY, which also inhibits hunger. There's an important one called leptin. That is a really fundamental hormone in terms of energy storage. So Andy, do you want to tell me what leptin does? I think Hamid, you could do a better job than sure. I can explain right. it. Well, it is it is a quite a developing area of research, just like all the other hormones we've talked about. But leptin is a, a signal, but it's, it's one of the hormones hormones in the body that actually signals to the brain the extent of uh, the body's energy storage. So the, the plasma levels of leptin mimic closely to what the level of adipose tissue, so the level of fat that you have in the body. And in an obese patient, it's theorized that their response to leptin is poor and there is resistance. And so there is dysregulation, just like in a diabetic patient and insulin is dysregulation of this hormone leading to continuous energy intake and 
reduce responsiveness from the brain to regulate the appetite. So essentially what you were saying was that high levels of leptin will tell the body that you've got high levels of fat. Exactly. And one thing when they first discovered this, they they held it as one of the cures to obesity because they knocked out leptin in one mi- uh, on, on one mouse and they found that mouse to become completely overweight. And once they gave it substitute leptin, then the person, uh, then the mouse became skinny again. But what they found was that they, that didn't really translate into humans because it was more, this is more of a, um, heterozygous or yeah, more of like a heterozygous sort of inheritance pattern. So only a rare f- few people That's right. in the world actually are really leptin deficient. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think there's a few cases documented. I mean, it was discovered in an obese boy of uh, Asian heritage, I think. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, that uh, that wasn't leptin isn't the cure to obesity. Um, yeah. But I mean, that would have been a blockbuster drug had they discovered, you know, mm-hmm. a way to utilize leptin. But unfortunately, it's not the be all and end all. So, you mm-hmm. know, demonstrating how complicated mm-hmm. weight regulation and appetite intake is. That's essentially leptin in a nutshell. In terms of other hormones, there's uh, uh, amylin, which is produced by the pancreas. And that it's uh, theorized to also decrease food intake uh, in, in a short-term sort of pattern. And there's also insulin, and that's not surprising because, um, you know, insulin is fundamental to metabolism and how um, glucose is utilized by the body. Are you saying that a lot of insulin will increase or decrease appetite? So I, I guess what's suggested is that the levels of circular insulin are proportionate to how much adipose tissue uh, an individual is carrying. Okay. Yeah. Um, and insulin may decrease... Uh, or, or may um, decrease feeding by affecting the expression of other hormones that we talked about, such as neuropeptide Y or NPY, or increase the effects of other hormones such as CCK. So it's not clear how insulin works in, mm. in that regard, but it may play a role. Yeah. And finally, uh, the, I, I guess this also highlights how important the pancreas is. The pancreas also produces another um, peptide called pancreatic polypeptide, and that's also uh, suggested to be able to decrease food intake in humans. But it needs to be stressed that these are all, this is frontier science and there isn't much information in mm. terms of this is an active area of research and I'm sure things might change in the future. Yep. Do you have any anything else to add before we move on? Well, as I, I would just like to just reiterate saying that it seems like the more they dig into this, the more they're finding and unfortunately they can't really, there, there is no clear answer to, or what we've found is just that this whole why we get hungry and how we get hungry is just very complicated. That's right, exactly. And look, um, you know, this is an evolving area, so you know, who knows what's going to happen in in the near future. So, if you had to say some key enzymes or like sorry, key hormones to remember, which three or four would you probably? I think it's important to uh, appreciate the role of ghrelin because it's the only one that stimulates hunger. It's yep. important to appreciate the role of leptin because that's a direct signaling hormone. Yep. But it's also important to appreciate the role of things like CCK yep. in terms of its diverse effects. Yep. Glucagon-like peptide and insulin are also important as well. Mm, sounds sounds good. Yeah. So if we if we move on now, we can talk about the homeostatic regulation and actually what happens in the brain where these sort of hormones potentially interact. So which part of the brain would you say that it actually begins? With? I think a lot of the research is pointing towards the arcuate nucleus in the hypothalamus as and the primary region involved in that regulation. And the hypothalamus was that the region associated with emotions? Uh, I, I think it's hypothalamus is the gateway. It's the endocrine. It's the interface between sympathetic as well as your endocrine. And I think the limbic system 
is um, yes. is the one that plays an important role in terms of the interactions with emotions. But I'm sure they they all there is interplay between the limbic system as well as the hypothalamus. Mm. But the key area that is uh, an active area of research is the arcuate nucleus, mm. and there's two distinct uh, neurons uh, or p- pathways within the um, within this region that's important. One pathway produces um, expresses NPY and AGRP. AGRP stands for um, uh, agouti-related peptide, and and their effects are to stimulate food intake. And the other pathway expresses POMC, and that has the opposite uh, opposite effect. So POMC stands for pro-opiomelanocortin uh, hormone, and that suppresses uh, food intake. So let me get this straight. So in the arcuate nucleus in the hypothalamus, the neurons that express AGRP or NPY stimulate food intake, but the neurons that express POMC have the opposite effect, which reduce food intake. Exactly, exactly. But what's also important to recognize is that there are projections from the arcuate nucleus uh, to other regions of the hypothalamus, particularly the paraventricle nucleus, where um, thyroid-releasing hormone and, and um, corticotrophin-releasing hormone and oxytocin are produced, and these guys suppress hunger, whereas other projections, such as the ones going to the lateral hypothalamus, these guys um, stimulate, uh, this pathway stimulates uh, hunger. Okay. So one pathway suppresses, so paraventricle nucleus suppresses, whereas yeah. the lateral pathway stimulates hunger. Really clearly outlines how important this region is in terms of appetite regulation. But in terms of the short and long-term uh, factors to take into account energy balance, so in the short term, ghrelin, CCK, GLP, and all those other peptides we talked about are important. But in the long term or medium to long term, uh, leptin and insulin are, are, are important. Yeah. Um, so Andy, if you don't mind, can you talk mm. about, so it's just, you know, if, if only it was as simple as brain control, there's other factors, you know, sensory stimulation, the type of food we eat, mm. um, there's all these hedonic psychological influences that are important. Can you explain a little bit more about how the sensory factors relate to food intake? So as Hamid alluded to, the choice of us eating or getting hungry and actually eat, um, eating food and, um, and the hunger passing away. It is not purely just how low in calories you are at the moment or how low your blood sugar is. There's a lot of other factors that relate to what stimulates your appetite. Um, so sensory factors such as taste and olfactory, like let's say when I eat the, the texture of the food entering my mouth at the moment, um, that would interact with my brain to produce and interact with this part of a hedonic pathway that will increase and stimulate my appetite so if i were to put into like a sort of if i were to explain it it would be like eating a mcdonald's fries and just trying one piece would make me feel like uh, it will increase my appetite and would make me feel like finishing the whole thing and before i knew it the one one or two pieces that i was going to try ends up like four or five boxes later (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, exactly right. That's that's absolutely right. So I guess that ties into those hedonic influences. So that's the reward pathways in the brain that we mentioned before. You know the the interaction between the cortex and the limbic system, where you get a lot of reward for let's say having food that may be high in calorie, and that overrides some of those suppressing urges that the homeostatic mechanisms may have in place, and they therefore drive your calorie intake. Mm-hmm. But there's also dietary factors that can't be ignored. So the studies have shown that different foods. The different foods containing different types of macronutrients can influence your appetite. So do you want to go into that a little bit? Hamid mentioned macronutrients and we just have to have a clear understanding of what 
exactly the four main macronutrients are, right? So we've got carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and the fourth and final one would be alcohol. Which is unusual. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. But it is a macronutrient. It seems to be a main staple macronutrient for med students. That, uh, exactly, which is uh, good and bad. <laughs> good and bad. Okay. But so those are the four main macronutrients, and there is a hierarchy to how the body likes to um, pr- prefer it. So in terms of the macronutrients, I, I imagine it as the ones that are more caloric dense or the ones that are more favorable for the body to, uh, to get, obtain energy from are the ones that are processed the slowest. When the body senses proteins, it will actually fill, it will tell your body that, it will tell the brain that, hey, I'm, I'm getting full pretty quickly. Carbohydrates are the second fastest to do that. Fats, on the other hand, are one of the slowest ones because I'm imagining it as the body senses fats and goes, oh yes, I really like this. Mm-hmm. So please feed me more before I tell you to stop. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. fats get processed the longest. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting about proteins, going back to that, is the fact that it, the satiety effect can actually last quite a while it can last up to 24 hours depending on your intake up to several days which is really impressive so if you have a diet that is high in protein then you sometimes feel really? fuller which is yeah which is really I interesting don't, i don't think i could last 24 hours from a meal like a that's what the research meal. says um I, I, who am i to question the research <laughs> but like sure. um, it's it's very interesting regardless yeah um yeah. so the important point to remember is that appetite includes both hedonic dietary as well as as well as homeostatic mechanisms and these things can go astray uh, and lead to uh, in conjunction to environmental factors lead to obesity um, as pos- possible causes mm. which brings us to you know possible targets for cures in the future and as you know budding medical students i'm sure you know someone out there listening to us might be able to you know come up with a cure for obesity and uh you know win a noble prize here and there yeah um so that wraps up the the talk um for for today if um we always welcome feedback if you guys yeah. have any more uh other information that you want to share then we'll um, we'll end here once again thank you so much everyone listening and uh, we'll hope to see you uh next time see you next time